You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. You're listening to episode 394, and I'm your co-host, Brittany Martin. And I'm your co-host, Gemma Isroff. Hey, Gemma, I know it is early for you. You are coming off of RubyConf, so I'm so curious. How are you doing over there? I am doing great, feeling incredibly energized, and I'm still here in Denver for another couple of days, which should be really fun. That's awesome. I'm so interested to talk about your experience in person at RubyConf. Of course, you know, the episode before this was the mega panel, and I can't thank you enough for moderating that. You did such an excellent job. I'm just curious, like, what expectations did you have going into RubyConf and what was matched and what was exceeded? Yeah, excited to hear about the virtual experience, too. What expectations did I have coming in? I knew it was going to be meeting and interacting with a lot of people, and it definitely was. I think what far exceeded my expectation on that front was how natural it would feel. I thought it would be like all these people I hadn't met in person ever or in a long time and be kind of socially awkward or really draining, but it was so wonderful and such a deep sense of community. I think the other expectation kind of mismatch was I thought I was going to be able to watch so many more talks and watch more virtual talks than I did. I think I ended up watching only one or two virtual talks, so I'm really excited to take some time and and get into those a little more properly. I'm curious. I know that you listen to a lot of podcasts and you watch a lot of conference talks. Did you know anybody based on voice? I don't think I recognized anybody based on voice alone because it was you would always have the eyes above the mask, too. And I'm usually pretty good at faces. That was helpful. But it definitely was really fun putting like actual three dimensional people to, I don't know, a Twitter profile or something like that. For sure. I think what's so impressive is that you did so much at the conference. So not only did you moderate the panel, you spoke at a conference for the first time, which I definitely want to dig into that. But then WNB.RB had a huge presence at the conference. So I imagine you just were running around and trying to organize everything. It was a little chaotic. Tuesday was my rest day, though. Tuesday, I just consumed content and prepped my talks. That was lovely. But yeah, the WNB events were also a huge highlight, seeing a community that was only virtual in person and seeing and hearing the impact it had on so many people was was really wonderful. How was the virtual experience? You know what? I was incredibly impressed with the virtual experience. So I saw a tweet from Colby Swandale that he was actually the one who built the virtual experience. And so I think it's a really difficult goal to achieve. Apparently, this is the most attended RubyConf of all time. I think there were like 650 in person, 500 virtual. So it was almost Mm -hmm. a one for one. And, you know, I'm going to quote Ben Greenberg from his amazing talk on being an early career dev in your 30s. But I consider myself a geriatric millennial, and so I was brand (laughs) new to Discord, and I ended up really liking it. I'm used to Slack. I've used Gitter before, but Discord was entirely new to me. My partner loves Discord, so, you know, he gave me some tips. But I thought the streaming platform that Colby built was great. Like, I really loved that they had scheduled time for the virtual talks to air. I thought the streaming from the conference was great. Granted, I wasn't able to watch Matt's keynote in real time. And I know there was a 30 second lag, but you know what? They were hot patching things like in real time, which for people who've deployed code to production, you know, I give them a lot of props because that must have been 
a lot of pressure on the organizing team, which, by the way, they absolutely crushed it. So I'm curious, did you interact with the virtual audience at all, you know, while you were in person or were you entirely focused on in person? With so much going on, I was entirely focused on in person. I would open my laptop and work on things that I had going on. So the panel or the talk or the dinner or things like that. But I was I still have to catch up on Discord questions for my talk. I wasn't present on Discord almost at all. Did you have kind of Discord open? And then how are you picking between virtual talks and live stream talks? That's such a good question. I was, you know, on Twitter and looking to see what virtual talks were getting great feedback. And then in terms Mm -hmm. of the like live stream talks, there were some certain speakers, including yourself, that I just knew that I needed to watch in real time. I was also scanning the Discord channel and seeing who was generating a lot of really interesting questions. And so I was picking those virtual talks. I tended to gear towards the team specific talks on the virtual side, just because, you know, that's something really pertinent to me right now is what I'm doing at Textus. But you were right. Like, there's just such a vast library that I now have. I'm lucky in the sense that we have the virtual talks published now. And so anyone who attended RubyConf can now go backwards. And then what, a couple of weeks from now, probably all the live talks will be available as well. Yeah, probably by the time this episode comes out, folks Mm -hmm. who even didn't have a ticket to RubyConf might be able to watch all of the talks. Totally. So I want to get into your talk. First of all, you're on the last day. I'm curious how you felt about that. How I felt about being on the last day. There's a little speaker lounge where you can go to work on your talk. And I was having a conversation with someone else about being on the last day. And someone who I don't know piped in and was like, oh, you can just email them and ask to not be on the last day. So pro tip, which I've now shared with our entire podcast audience, if you're ever a speaker, apparently, if you don't want to be on the last day, you can say so. I felt a little distracted on the day's leading up to my talk by the talk. And so I feel like the thing about going earlier would have been, I would have been able to focus a little more on others' content. So I want to dig into the fact that not only were you speaking at a conference for the first time, but you did it with a partner. And so I want to compliment you and the video should be available at this point, but if not, please check out Gemma's video. It's Achieving Fast Method Metaprogramming Lessons from Memoize. How was the transfer between you and Jacob so smooth? Because it looked super rehearsed. Yeah. So I gave a talk with my former coworker, Jacob Evelyn, who is one of my all-time favorite coworkers and who I've worked really closely with quite a lot in the past. So I think we had that working for us that we really know each other's styles, both in presenting and in working and in editing slides. The transitions, we were both a little nervous about because we didn't obviously have time to practice or maybe not obviously. We didn't have time to practice in person until RubyConf itself. We live in different places. And so we hadn't physically seen each other in about a year and a half. We spent a while just figuring out exactly who would take what slide. And we tried to make the chunks of when we were talking long enough such that it felt natural to each of us would talk for a few minutes and then hand it over to the other. But we definitely on first dry runs got feedback that our transitions were not good. And so we're working pretty hard on that. So I'm curious when you weren't speaking, what was going through your mind? Are you like, oh, remember, you're still on stage, like be engaged. Don't be thinking about what I'm talking about next. Like, how did that process go? Jake is such an 
engaging and captivating speaker as I hope you witnessed that it was really just fun. I was like, okay, just listen to him. He's saying interesting stuff. Just listen to what he's saying. For the most part, I wasn't actually distracted by what I was going to say. It was just like, okay, take a breath, listen to Jake, make sure I tried to smile a little. I don't know if the camera was, I don't know what the camera was doing, but that was my main focus. This episode of the Ruby on Rails podcast is brought to you by Honey Badger. Honey Badger is one of the easiest decisions you can make. As an engineering lead on a tech stack that supports a UI, API, mobile application, and Chrome extension, it is awesome to have all of my error monitoring, uptime monitoring, and check-in monitoring in one place. No matter how great your team is, your code is going to have errors. Honey Badger empowers your whole team to own the features they ship. Honey Badger sends you alerts real-time with all the context needed to see what's causing the error and where it's hiding so you can quickly fix it and get on with your day. The included uptime and cron monitoring also lets you know when your external services are having issues or your background jobs go missing or silently fail. Head over to honeybadger.io and discover how Honey Badger is used by tens of thousands of pragmatic developers and companies of all sizes who want to focus on shipping great, error-free products. What I loved about your talk is there was a ton of code examples, but the way that you broke it down is like a lot of transitions. So it was almost like live coding, which as someone who's never done live coding during a conference talk, I think that's like next level when you do that kind of stuff. But in terms of how you broke down the code snippets, I thought it was really nice because there was a story being told. And you actually did something that I really love and I'd like to see more speakers do. At one point, you're going over a code example and you actually paused and asked the audience, what do you think the next step is going to be? And I'd love to see that more often because it just kind of affirms that your audience is following along and that they understand the natural progression that you're trying to get to. Yeah, thanks so much for saying that. I realized we didn't we haven't said what my talk was about. For those who haven't listened or don't plan to, it was called Achieving Fast Method Metaprogramming Lessons from Memoize. And it was about a memoization gem Jake and I had maintained and had built and how we optimized that gem. And so we iterated over optimizations we made. And yeah, the audience engagement part, I actually, I feel really passionately about. I know for me, when I'm in an audience, it's helpful if... I don't know. I have mixed feelings on having to raise my hand as part of an audience. But if someone just encourages me to think a little on my own about something, I find it can really help my engagement in a talk. And so we tried to do the same thing. I especially love towards the end when you and Jacob had built out objects of yourself to explain like your various <laughs> characteristics. The laugh you got when you said Shopify was hiring was pretty great. <laughs> So I used to work with Jacob at Panorama, which is a smaller company. So he wanted to explain what they did rightfully so. And I was like, I don't don't know if I should explain what Shopify does. So I, yeah, I tried to go for the joke there. I, I love that. Okay. How was the Shopify experience at RubyConf? Like, did you travel in a pack? Were you at the booth regularly? Like, what was that experience? Yeah, so I only started at Shopify six weeks ago as of right now, six and a half. I felt very privileged to be able to meet so many of my coworkers in person and watch so many of them give talks. After such a short time, I feel like in this virtual digital by design world we're in, it usually can be much longer. I know many people who have never met their coworkers in person. So that was really fun, especially to be able to learn from them live at the conference. 
I didn't spend a lot of time at the booth with everything else going on. Or, and I tried not to travel in packs with Shopify folks so that I could really meet other people at the conference too. But I was definitely grateful for their presence. We've had yesterday, I spent a lot of time, which yesterday was Thursday, the day after the conference. I spent a lot of time. I went on a hike with some of them. I went to a hockey game with others. And so just getting to know them on a more personal level too. Wait a minute. Is Shopify folks a real thing? Shopify folks? Yes, it's what we call ourselves. That is so entertaining. I love that. <laughs> it's a funny one of all the ones I've heard. Brittany, what were some of the talks you think you'll really remember? What were the highlight talks for you? Yeah, that is a perfect transition because I was going to bring up one of the virtual talks that I just absolutely loved. I knew I was going to be excited about it. And it was Managing Out Strategies for Leveling Up by Mina Slater. So we had been talking at WNB.RB about how difficult it is to categorize mid-level engineers. It's difficult to hire them. It's difficult to explain to someone when you're in intermediate. And I just love this talk. And so I'm just going to talk about a couple of points that she made, which I thought was really great. She talked about how you shouldn't say everything is in the code when someone is joining an organization. As someone who has onboarded a lot of engineers, like you do need to have tooling, you need to have wiki entries, you need to have like a story around your code. I don't think it's fair to say just get clone this repo and don't worry, you'll figure it out. She pointed out you don't always need to lead from official positions of leadership. And Gemma, as someone who leads a lot of things, I think you can agree with that, that you kind of make leadership positions, you know, wherever you are. Don't wait when you're a mid-level engineer. If you see a hole that a senior is not able to fill, like see if you can do it yourself. Worst case scenario, everyone is always going to be impressed by somebody who tried. And that includes like how she took on managing pair rotations because she saw that as an opportunity to like take on a leadership role. I think my favorite thing about her talk is throughout all of it, there were a ton of Star Trek gifts. And I kept noticing that she was using Riker a lot. And I'm like, oh, she just must really like Riker. And then towards the end of it, she made the point that she was the Riker to her manager's Picard. And I love when a talk comes together like a Seinfeld episode where just all that goodness comes together and it makes a ton of sense. She had been planting seeds along the way. Did she say anything about learning effectively? I feel like that's a huge thing also about being mid-level is knowing how to learn. Yeah. So she did talk about that. She talked about how mids tend to have more availability in leads. Mm -hmm. So there's opportunity there to learn and to be the person on the team who has the institutional knowledge. So they might not necessarily be the one who has the most technical ability for a problem. But you might have been the mid-level developer who actually has context around a solution, why you decided to go with a certain library, why you decided to roll back that PR, because developers switch teams so often. You might be in a situation where you are a mid-level developer on a team, but you're the one who actually knows the reason behind legacy decisions. That's really interesting. I think also for lack of Sometimes having to manage or lead or be a part of so many different teams in different projects, I feel like it makes perfect sense that mid-levels, since they're able to go so deep, can be the institutional knowledge experts on certain topics. Totally agreed. And I mentioned it already, but I did get to catch Ben Greenberg's talk on being an early career dev in your 30s. I learned how to code when I was 28. 
And so I feel like I was close enough to this talk because I, <laughs> I definitely am a second career developer. And you mentioned the whole geriatric millennials, but I will just say I'm going to compliment Ben. He is a former rabbi and he is an incredible speaker. Just really had command of the room. Very entertaining, very emphatic, knew his, you know, talk backwards and forwards and just made some really excellent points. He talked about something that I really believe in. When I go to hire a second career dev, I look at their CV and I'm really interested in what their past career was and how it can lend itself to programming, which is something I think you and I have talked about before. So your CV is not a liability. So if you were in food service before, There are some traits being in food service that lends itself well to programming. Yeah, I think we've definitely talked in this and I really believe it. And I'm so glad you gave the example of Ben's background as a rabbi, because we can see how easily it would lend itself to all of his experience there would lend itself to him being quite a phenomenal speaker. And he made this. I love this quote. So what you did is way more important than what you were called. And I just like want to go to one of those like wood workshop places, and like get that like on a like one of those signs, the live, laugh, yeah. wine like type signs and like put that in my office because it, it's such an important concept because just in today's world where hiring is just so crazy, there's a lot of opportunity to move around and really do the thing that you want to do. And so I really want to encourage people to really think about what you're currently doing your role. And even if you are titled one thing, really reach for what you want to do and be able to create that story about what you've been doing and how that can lead you to what you want to be doing. Yeah, that resonates very deeply. I don't love titles at all. I would even maybe say what you learned is so much more important than what you were called. I totally agree. Hi, everyone. It's Brian, your co-host. I'd like to talk to you about something that is very near and dear to my heart, and that's the software consultancy I co-founded in 2001, Atlantis Technology. Some of the longtime listeners here may know Mirror was born out of Atlantis back in 2006 when we figured, let's try being Ruby engineers who recruit Ruby engineers. It was a unique idea that clicked and now has become my life's work. But while I've been growing Mirror for the past 15 years, Atlantis has continued to grow as well. Atlanta still specializes in Ruby on Rails software development and collaborates on some pretty meaningful projects. Here are a couple of my favorites. An interactive education tool to help elementary school students learn how to read. How cool is that, right? Second is a SaaS application for clinics and hospitals to treat patients remotely. So my point is the work we do is really meaningful and impactful to others. But the best part is the work gets done by great developers who also happen to be great people. Atlantis has always attracted egoless, empathetic engineers who love working together, and we are actively seeking more remote engineers to help build the future for our clients. While I'm not doing the actual recruiting for Atlantis myself, since my time is so focused on Mirror clients, it'd be my privilege to connect you with our CTO and co-founder, John Collier, who after 19 years, I still describe as one of the most relentlessly positive human beings I know. If you'd like to meet John and hear more about working at Atlantis, just drop me an email at brian at mirrorplacement.com and I'll make an intro or apply directly at atlantistech.com. We'll put a link in the show notes. And wrapping back to your talk as well, I'm curious, a lot of the work that you did with your memoized gem was because you were doing that in a production environment. 
Could you have pulled that talk off if you didn't have like a very busy production environment that you were trying to scale? I think we still would have because we had the benchmarks, which were telling us the same thing. So I don't think we would have seen the impact of the benchmarks at scale, but I think we could definitely see how each optimization itself was improving the benchmarks incrementally. That's awesome. So you mentioned on Tuesday, you got to have a little bit of a rest. So it sounds like you got to catch some talks yourself. Any favorites from Tuesday? Oh my goodness. So many. I don't remember which days were which right now. It's all kind of a blur, but I can definitely call out some of my favorite talks. One of my absolute favorite was, did you see Eileen's talk on optimizing class variables? I actually didn't because I was watching Ben's talk. So I'm interested to hear how that went. Yeah, the time slot thing was tough for me. There were quite a few time slots where I wanted to see so many. What you said about Ben, I also believe about Eileen. I think she's so smart and such a captivating speaker. So she talked about class variables, which are rarely used, and she explained why they still mattered and how they were really slow in some work she did to optimize them quite significantly, which was really fascinating. I stayed as I'm sure is no surprise to you, mostly in the performance track. And that was one of my favorites in that track. I'm completely shocked. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I love the fact that you have a brand, Gemma. I think it's great that you were always willing to teach other people, but you were so eager to consume the knowledge of others. Yeah. I mean, there were so many I loved. Brandon Weaver, did you catch his? You know what? I have seen him speak before and he's incredible. One of my coworkers messaged me and was like, you have to watch this talk. And so I'm eager for that one to come online. His whole like book setup and how he turns the pages and makes that work with his slides. I think that alone could be a really fascinating talk, but he is an incredible speaker (laughs) and the amount of work that he must put into those slides is incredible. Yeah. So for those who haven't had the privilege of seeing Brandon talk, I would definitely Firstly, recommend doing it, but second, or recommend finding one of his talks and watching it. But also, he has an old red book, and as he holds it, as if he's reading from it when giving his talks, and as he turns the pages of the book, the next slide appears on his screen. He had the book in the speaker lounge, and I tried it out because I was like, what happens here? And I turned the pages, and the next slide would go. There's some real magic going on with that book. I love that so much. So looking forward to like more conferences, like I would say that RubyConf was an incredible success. They were able to pull off both the in-person and the virtual experience. Do you see yourself going to RailsConf in May in Portland? Oh, I'm so eager to go to RailsConf. I think for so many reasons, the talks, but really the people, I think is what's going to keep pulling me back to these in-person conferences. I totally agree with you. I used to not be a hallway track person because I just didn't know a lot of people. But, you know, after watching all the people that were in person at RubyConf this time around, I was like, oh, my God, I could have spent like an entire day just in the hallway, just based on the guests that I've interviewed on the show, based on the people that I've met at WNB.RB. I'm just super stoked to get an opportunity to see everybody in person. Yeah, I think almost the reason why... The hallway track felt like such a big track this time was because, as you mentioned, there's so many people I had met through WNB or Twitter or work, other spaces who I hadn't met in person and was so excited to see in person. And yeah, just the WNB community was really, it blew me away. 
What was really cool is that every time you had an in-person meetup at WNB.RB, you could see the people joining the Slack like right after. So like clearly, you know, whatever recruiting (laughs) you were doing, Gemma, you and Emily were doing an incredible job of getting the right people into those meetups. So kudos to you. Yeah, thank you. I think, yeah, we grew our community quite significantly, which I'm really excited to welcome everyone who has joined since the conference. I'm curious, like, how is the brand recognition at this point? Like, were people aware of it at RubyConf? Did you get a lot of questions about it or has it almost become like an accepted institution? There were a ton of folks who had never heard of it, which to me was one of the big points of us having such a presence at RubyConf. Obviously, people who are coming to conferences are really deeply engaged with Ruby and would make tremendous members of our community. So that was really fun when we had an event and people would come up and say, hey, what is WNB? I haven't seen something like this at RubyConf before. And we were able to explain to them a bit of who we were and then let the community speak for itself as they participated in whatever event we had. That was really fun. And then there were, yeah, there were a bunch of people too who did know it or who would shout out WNB in their talks or or something like that, which was also really affirming and seeing and hearing about the impact it had on their past year was was really deeply touching to me. That's amazing. I love that so much. Are we past the anniversary then for it? We are not. You and Emily were the first speakers in a, I want to say a March meetup, either March or April. But so we're coming on one year, not quite there yet. That's absolutely incredible. And by the way, you did an incredible job of tweeting during the conference. I think it was you or was it split between you and Emily? Oh, it was definitively neither Emily nor myself. It was Clara Morganeyer who volunteered to do the tweeting for us. Emily and I are both, I think she'll be okay if I say this not the best at using Twitter. And so she, yeah, she absolutely crushed it. And it was really a privilege for us to not have that responsibility as well. That was really cool of her because I thought that the content that was tweeted out was really engaging. You could see that you gained a ton of followers over it and just really was very supportive of the community. And like, she did a really good job of getting ahead of the people who were about to give a talk who were members of the community. I just thought that was really cool. Yeah, it was so fun for me to see, too. So I'm curious, Gemma, I know that you're in Denver now. You were talking to me very early in the morning, which you are a (laughs) champ. But, you know, what does your travel schedule look like? Yeah, I'm going to hang around Denver for a few days and work from here, which I'm really excited for. I'm a big hiker and obviously there's lots of that nearby. So I'm hoping to do a bit this coming weekend and then I'll head back to New York where I live after this. So for anybody who's new to hiking, myself included, I think you know that I'm training for a marathon in January. But after that, I want to pick up some new hobbies. Hiking would be very cool. Do you have any uh, top tips for me when I actually do get back to Denver? Brittany, I did not know you were training for a marathon in January. How did I miss this? I'm a lunatic. (laughs) I'm doing an 18 week training program. I'm currently wrapping up week seven. So I've got a 10 mile training run coming up this weekend. I think when I get to the point where my training runs are 20 miles long, I'm going to question every decision I've made (laughs) in my life. But uh, Yeah, I'm going to be doing a full marathon. It's going to be my first and my last. So (laughs) I'm going to immediately retire as I cross the finish line at the end of January. Don't speak too soon. I think people who cross the finish line of a marathon are usually in one of two camps. Either I'm never doing it again or I can't wait to try this again. Are you doing one of the Hal Higdon 18 week plans? 
Oh, no, actually, I'm doing the Peloton one, but I've heard really good feedback about those plans as well. Yeah. The 10 miler this weekend should be very fun. Is that you? Have you run halves before? I have. I've run four halves. So my former boss always told me if you can do a half, you can do a full. (laughs) And to me, that never seemed to be true. (laughs) But, you know, I'm getting older. I'm turning 37 this year. And so I figure, you know what, I I don't want to regret not trying. And I figure if I go really slow, as long as I finish it, it's all good. Slow and steady does win the race. And what's funny, Gemma, is that, you know, I can be quite the competitive person. And so it's actually really hard for me to not go quickly. And so what's been really helpful is that I stopped listening to upbeat music. And now I run to podcasts because they're slow. And so I can slow down my pace and really like think about like maintaining a steady pace. So maybe there's a possibility where, you know, I download some RubyConf talks and I might be running some long miles to those. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's really funny. I also sometimes listen to podcasts on long training runs and I often have the thought, I'm like, I wonder if these people know I'm listening to them as I'm struggling and like chafing everywhere and barely putting one foot the other. So if anyone is listening to us on a long run, thank you. You're crushing it. Keep going. You are absolutely crushing it. That upcoming hill, you got this. You know, you are more than halfway through. Like, <laughs> just any encouragement that you need to do to get through it. We're really proud of you. And thanks for listening to us. We'll turn into motivation running speakers one day. I love that. We're just going to be recording ASMR podcasts for people who are running to tech topics. I love it. Funny genre, but the niche must exist. The niche must exist. And if not, we will invent it. With that, I'm going to let you go, Gemma, and let you kick off the rest of your day. It was so great to hear your recap from RubyConf. Thank you again for moderating the panel. Did an incredible job. And at some point, we are definitely going to meet in person, and I can't wait for it. Of course. It was lovely to catch up with you. Yes, I hope at RailsConf we get to meet in person. Oh, just you wait. I'm going to appear in New York City. I'm just I'm going to book the New York City Marathon after doing this. (laughs) (laughs) I would love that. All right. Have a great day, Gemma. All right. Bye. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review. And thank you for listening.